Good morning and welcome to this Euractiv online event, which is kindly supported by ENSOG, the European Network of Gas Transmission System Operators. My name is Frédéric Simon, I'm the Energy and Environment Editor of Euractiv, and I will be your host for today's event, which is titled Ensuring the Effective Integration of Hydrogen Within the EU's Energy System. Now, today's discussion on hydrogen comes amid uh, a push by the European Union to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 55% before 2030, before eventually reaching net zero by 2050. And hydrogen is expected to play an important role here by building bridges between the gas and electricity sector and also helping to decarbonize areas like transport and industry. So where do we stand when it comes to creating a hydrogen market in Europe today? To discuss this topic, I have the pleasure of welcoming Katerina Sikov-Magni, Director for the Green Transition and Energy System Integration at the European Commission's Energy Directorate, Jerzy Brzyk, former, uh, former Polish Prime Minister and currently with the centre-right EPP group in the European Parliament, Rafael Anotto from E3G, a climate policy think tank, Alan Cruz from ENSO-E, the European Association of Electricity Transmission System Operators, and Piotr Cruz, General Director of ENSOG. Welcome to all of you and thanks for joining us today. We'll start uh, this virtual conference with a series of short opening statements from the speakers and then we'll move on to a Q&A discussion that will also include questions from the audience. To put a question to the speakers, just use the chat function on the right-hand side of your screen and we will take questions directly from there. So, um, I think that's all for me. So, without further ado, let me give the floor to Katerina Sikov-Magni from the European Commission. Good morning, many thanks uh, Frederic and good morning everybody, very pleased to be here today. Uh, so just to go directly into the topic uh, of today, uh, I'm referring to the uh, major package that the Commission adopted in December on how to uh, bring about the hydrogen and green gases uh, future or low carbon gases future into the Europe in order to meet the ambitious climate targets that we have set. Uh, but before saying a little bit more on the package itself, I would like to put it into the broader context. And the broader context is the so-called Fit for 55 package uh, that the Commission adopted uh, last July, which is groundbreaking in terms of its size and coverage. Uh, and its purpose is to make the European Green Deal reality. Uh, so it covers many, many aspects, I think about 12 uh, proposals, all in all, uh, from ranging from energy efficiency uh, to more renewables, to alternative fuels, energy taxation, uh, carbon border adjustment, uh, emission trading system extension, and many more. So this package from December that focuses on hydrogen and uh, clean gases uh, is a complementary package to the Fit for 55 package. And its aim is to make the union less dependent on fossil fuel imports, uh, fossil fuel usage, and make our system more resilient. There are five policy goals. I will go through them very rapidly, and I'm sure we will come back to those in the discussion. 
So first, to create an effective cross-border hydrogen infrastructure and a competitive hydrogen market. Here, we have, of course, looked at how electricity and gas markets work and taken up many of the uh, principles there from like third-party access, access tariff regulation, separation of production and transport activities. But we also acknowledge that hydrogen is an emerging market and uh, a lot of flexibility has been provided until 2030 for the ramp-up phase. Second, uh, the package also aims to integrate more renewable and low-carbon gases into the existing gas grid uh, by removing, uh, among others, uh, tariffs for cross-border interconnections for these gases. Third, um, the package provides for more integrated network planning between electricity, gas and hydrogen networks and puts in place the structures for ensuring the cooperation between the sectors and uh, bringing about the uh, future hydrogen network and based on sector integration, of course. Uh, fourth, uh, the package uh, aims at ensuring the transition to cleaner energy, that it is fair and just, so bringing consumer rights uh, similar to the electricity sector that we already have in place uh, also into the gases sector. And fifth and last but not least, uh, the package also proposes uh, measures to improve the resilience of the EU energy system and security of energy supply, which is particularly topical in today's situation that we see uh, happening. To conclude my introductory remarks, uh, so just uh, to we need to keep in mind that this December package on which our discussion will focus today, I think, uh, does not promise to deliver the decarbonization of gases by itself. That's where we need to look at the uh, Fit for 55 package in its entirety. That's the aim of the packages put together. Thank you and look forward to a very interesting discussion. Thanks, Mrs. Sukov-Magni, for um, setting the scene. Um, I think we can now turn to uh, Jerzy Buzik. We're still, I think, adjusting his uh, camera. There he is. Jerzy Buzik, can you hear us? Uh, well, probably yes. For me, something very strange with my contact, absolutely unusual. I have to turn around my uh, my computer, so it's something unusual for me, because I can, uh, it's necessary for me to keep it. You see, maybe okay. I hope it will be okay. Well, thank you very much, first of all, for invitation. I am very glad being with you, uh, and very happy to contribute to today's event. Yeah, and. Um, uh, as far as I know, we have two minutes for opening opening remarks. Am I right? And in European Parliament, we've got usually one minute, so I'm in a very good position, I must tell you. Uh, three short messages. If we are serious about EU's ambitions, 2030, uh, 2050 especially, uh, climate targets as well as about just transition, all electric scenario is not an option. 
in many sectors, energy intensive industries, for example, steel, chemical, transport, heavy duty vehicles, marine, aviation, in some cases, heating in my country is so important. Electrification will not be economically or even technically viable. And that's where clean hydrogen comes in. Uh, so it is important that what we discuss here is not if, but rather how to effectively integrate hydrogen within our energy system in the future. Second, very important when planning the future, it's always worth remembering about the past, the more distant and recent one. More distant is, of course, the beginning with hydrogen. It was a Ditfurt book, you probably know, uh, such a book and uh, less distant uh, past our recent achievements including the third uh, energy package and creation of NSOE and SOG developing hydrogen economy let's first and foremost use the experience and potential existing processes as well as infrastructure synergies in the leaking gas and electricity system and point number three hydrogen may become one of the major energy careers of the 21st century to make this happen, uh, we need a clear regulatory framework to support technology deployment, but also to ensure security of supply, market functioning, and last but not least, to avoid monopolies, um, even, even if um, monopolistic will be sending hydrogen, like sending gas or sending electricity, in general, we should have an open market in the European Union. And this is something that we, as a European Parliament, will look closely at during our work uh, on the new gas package, so important for all of us. We are waiting for that to work hard with you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mr. Buzik. Uh, let me turn now to Rafael Anoto from E3G. Thank you, Frederic. Um, so um, when we talk about the future of the hydrogen network and the gas network in general, it seems like we have a lot of things that we do not know and that actually planning for the future is very hard to actually know what the future is made of. But there are some things that we know. And first of all, the pathway in terms of what we do with our fossil gas consumption. This pathway is very clear. When we look at the European Commission's climate law impact assessment, we know that we need to reduce our fossil gas consumption by over 30% by 2030 and around 96% by 2050, so almost, el almost eliminate it all. Uh, what it means is that uh, also uh, when we talk about the orderly transition and transformation of the gas sector and the development of the hydrogen sector, we know that a lot of the current assets that are, all, are existing right now will have to be downsized, phased out or decommissioned. Uh, the second thing that I want to say is that parallel to reaching the 2030 and 2050 targets, we need to ensure that consumers that are actually using these networks can choose not to stay uh, on the gas system or not to be forced to switch to hydrogen and that they are not penalized when it's not possible for them and limit as much as possible the excess cost from that. The truth is, is that we haven't 
answered yet whether we need a pan-European hydrogen infrastructure at all or not. So developing a hydrogen infrastructure needs to be tailored to the real hydrogen demand in Europe, but also the volumes that are available. And that what is needed so far is, is, is a balance, but this balance is, is not really there yet in the, in the package. We need in, 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 very quickly uh, uh, the right safeguards to ensure that the network development plans and the development of hydrogen are in line with our climate targets. We need a governance system that is based on uh, independence on the advisory board for climate, for example, that was uh, introduced in the TENI to really increase the independence of decision making and ensure that we are not overbuilding infrastructure because this will be paid for by consumers in the end. And this has to happen both at EU level at, and at national level. Um, just to finish, the Vice President Timmermans announced that every commission proposal would be subject to a climate test from the 1st of December to evaluate a bit the coherence of legislation with carbon neutrality objective and with the 55% reduction. Um, at the moment, we do not really see these rules applying to the gas package and we're not really seeing it fit for 55, although it's part of this package. So we need more clarity also on how the pathway given by this package uh, actually aligns with climate legislation. Thank you. Thanks, Rafael Anotto. Uh, let me turn now to Alan Cruz from NSOE. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, and from NSOE, let's say, if we want to achieve our uh, European climate neutrality goals, we at NSOE strongly believe that this is only possible in a well-integrated energy system that links different sectors and harnesses the uh, synergy between electricity, gas, hydrogen, transportation, industry, among others. So the guiding principle on this should also be a balance between sustainability, affordability, and security supply. It's also therefore that I support uh, Jersey's remark that it's not going to be all electric, but to enable a smarter and a more integrated, optimized one energy system view, we think it requires an appropriate regulatory framework for all elements, uh, constitutes electric system, including also the other energy carriers, such as hydrogen. A level playing field for the different energy carriers is therefore important to compete and support this uh, coordinated decarbonization, uh, as well as the energy efficiency first principle. So given from NSOE's perspective that the primary energy source in the future will be electrons from solar and wind generation mainly, direct electrification in our view should be prioritized as the most energy efficient solution. But molecules such as hydrogen can and should support decarbonization where direct electrification is technically not viable or uh, cost effective. From an energy system perspective, hydrogen can further play a very important role as a long-term storage solution, contributing to adequacy and security supply. So this is indeed a very important part why we also are very much engaged in working together and make the energy system work. We think in this part that we shouldn't forget also the other sectors. So not only electricity and hydrogen, but we should also focus on the other energy carriers like heat, and uh, uh, the way that, for, for example, electric vehicles can play a role with the batteries. Therefore, a multi-sectorial planning approach is needed to facilitate the most efficient solution at the system level, improving smart sector integration, enhancing flexibility across the different energy uh, sectors. And in our opinion, the only way to ensure a timely delivery of an integrated infrastructure planning. 
So this approach means we need a unique uh, system perspective or a unified system perspective, one system view. We need the flexibility in the electrical system because it will continue to rise given we're uh, introducing more and more uh, renewables like solar and wind. Hydrogen is going to be definitely an important flexibility provider for the power system. Uh, and this requires structural investment and flexibility, uh, where we think that, for example, timestamp guarantees of origin could be a great facilitator to make it happen in a flexibility way. Coordination between hydrogen and electric network system operator is key. Uh, and the multi-sectorial planning of uh, development of assets uh, is also an uh, important part here. To support this integration of hydrogen into the energy system, uh, we think uh, that Europe indeed needs a proper regulatory framework. And it's imperative to develop the business case to use hydrogen in an electric system operation support function, which does currently not exist. So from that perspective, uh, we're definitely looking forward in bringing hydrogen a step further because we will need it to indeed uh, decarbonize Europe and keeping security supply in an affordable way on the high levels that we're used to. Thank you. Thanks, Alan Cruz. Let me turn now to Piotr Cruz from ENSOG. Thank you very much, Frederic. Uh, hello, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for joining us in this very timely debate, uh, referring to the discussions we are currently concluding on the future of our European energy system. And maybe also let me start to by sharing with you some of the opening remarks on, on behalf of ENSOC. Um, we fully recognize the urgent need to, to review the existing legislation and to consider the demands of uh, the energy transition and reaching the EU uh, energy and climate goals. Uh, ENSOC welcomes the publication of hydrogen and gas market decarbonization package, the package that is underlying the importance of hydrogen in the future energy system. We see the integration of hydrogen into existing regulation as a matter of utmost importance uh, for the whole European energy system. And already today we see this great ambition to develop hydrogen economy in Europe, the ambition that is underpinned by Fit for 55, by European hydrogen strategy, but also by national strategies for hydrogen by member states. As gas TSOs, uh, we are ready and willing to develop these uh, strategies and support them with necessary infrastructure, that the infrastructure that will enable for liquids and robust EU-wide hydrogen market. And I can already say that uh, as ENSOC, as, a T as TSOs, we already have a long experience working with hydrogen and that is already underpinned by a number of activities. Together uh, with uh, ENSOE, we uh, have been already developing the TYNDP scenarios that include hydrogen supply and demand forecasts up to 2050. Then our interlink model, which we are also developing jointly with ENSOE, allows us to analyze the most efficient and economical solution for infrastructure gaps. And in our opinion, such analysis is and will be fundamental in uh, talking about future integrated energy systems, as it was said today uh, by pre previous speakers. And finally, uh, working with our regulatory tasks on TYNDP and TYNDP for gas, we can already say that uh, we include hydrogen and hydrogen projects 
for our project collection. And this year, in 2022, more than 180 projects have been received uh, in this above categories. So actually, the work is already concluded by us to, to go for the hydrogen future. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, we also believe that there is no doubt that repurposing of existing gas infrastructure for hydrogen transport is one of the most economical and efficient solutions for the development of the EU-wide hydrogen network. In addition to its affordability, repurposing provides the quickest solution for infrastructure development and therefore the best chance of timely achieving European targets and supporting the market growth, which is one of the key policy targets of current EU regulations. Thank you very much. Thanks, Piotr Kuz. Uh, we can now start with uh, the Q&A discussion. Uh, and uh, let me start with a general question uh, to introduce the topic uh, to, uh, to all of you. Uh, and maybe I will start with uh, Jerzy Buzik. Uh, so do you believe the Commission's uh, gas package that was presented in December is going to be enough to reach the EU's uh, climate targets? Or do you see gaps there uh, that need to be filled? Jerzy Brzezik, your views on that, please. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's uh, absolutely crucial, the gas package uh, now in the European Parliament. Uh, we treat it uh, very seriously. And um, uh, we think that, as a matter of fact, hydrogen is the only option to effectively decarbonize uh, many sectors. Electrification will certainly increase beyond current levels in the EU. However, in many sectors of our economy, for both technical and economical reasons, hydrogen will remain the only solution in effective decarbonization. As already mentioned, this is about heavy industry, transport, heating, but also about electricity generation to address demand, uh, seasonality, and uh, uh, or peak situation. Hydrogen provides an efficient and robust means of uh, decreasing network congestion, for example, and providing long-term and large-scale storage for intermittent renewable energy sources. For all these reasons, hydrogen can and should be available for all sectors based on the level playing field approach. So we think that this, uh, this package is absolutely crucial from the point of view of our goals of 2030 and 2050. That's, that's it. Thanks, Mr. Buzik. Uh, let me put the question now to Piotr Kuss from ENSOG. Do you see the Commission's gas package uh, in December as uh, sufficient to reach uh, the EU's decarbonisation goals, or do you see gaps there that need to be addressed from a very high-level perspective? Well, thank you very much, Frederick, for this question. Maybe reiterating uh, my, my opening statements, uh, as we said, we really welcome the package. We see that uh, it is a very sound policy proposal that, uh, of course, integrates uh, low-carbon gases, integrates hydrogen into the future of uh, of, uh, of our sector. It puts also a lot of important emphasis on, on other aspects like security of supply, because we should remember that uh, energy transition should not be uh, 
implemented with detriment to security of supply and, and to the market functioning. A general remark we uh, we welcome is that we see that the, the, the package for uh, for future of gas and hydrogen decarbonization bases on the principles that have been implemented with the third package for the functioning of the gas market. And we believe that it really uh, places uh, TSOs and, and, and our sector in a very good position to take part in this, uh, in the, in this uh, future market development. Although we see in some areas that uh, uh, it should uh, it should go more into the, uh, the the subjects we discussed today. So build more on this energy system integration and seeking for synergies between the various energy carriers rather than providing some of a more uh, more silo approach. But I think that in detail there are some details, of course, from our perspective that uh, should be also clarified for for the future. But we in general take it as a very good and sound policy proposal. Thank you. Thanks, Piotr Cruz. And we'll go into the detail uh, later on about the specifics of uh, regulation of the hydrogen market. Uh, but let me stay uh, for the moment with still a sort of high-level perspective. And so let me turn to Ellen Cruz about um, uh, your views. Um, same question I put to the other speakers about uh, the gas package presented in December. Do you think it's going to be appropriate? to achieve the EU's decarbonisation goals for 2030 and 2050? Thank, thank you. Um, if, if we look at uh, hydrogen as a gas, uh, let's say for usage, I think uh, the, the previous gas uh, legislation is a very good, uh, let's say, starting point. So I assume there, let's say, not being uh, completely aware of all the gas uh, elements, that it uh, fits uh, much better. So using hydrogen for backup power and electricity, I think there are definitely uh, good elements there. Where we're still trying to investigate is whether, uh, let's say the new element uh, for green hydrogen is that you're creating hydrogen out of electricity. And electricity is a very volatile product. So it always needs to be, be balanced on millisecond basis. And that's where we're still trying to look does this gas package indeed give the right uh, incentives? And that's also, for example, why I just mentioned in the opening statements that maybe timestamped guarantees of origin can be a helpful tool, which are not, let's say, uh, we're not yet sure whether this is uh, fully, uh, let's say, helping the decarbonization. So we're investigating, but uh, with electricity, often uh, the devil is in the details. So we're not there yet. Thank you. Thanks, Alan Cruz. Uh, let me put the question now to Rafael Anotto. Do you see any gaps um, in the Commission's uh, December gas package? Thank you, Frédéric. Um, yeah, just to, to start by saying that, of course, the gas package is crucial to, uh, to actually reach, reach the climate targets and also to ensure that hydrogen is used where it adds more value. So, so uh, of course, there are some sectors where hydrogen is the only option, such as the heavy industry, for example. But where I would not agree with what was said previously is that uh, in some sectors, hydrogen will not be uh, something that is competitive. We already know that. So it should not be available everywhere. For example, we will not have the volumes to have uh, hydrogen for heating in an affordable manner. And this is something that is uh, crucial when we talk about the transition and reaching the climate targets. It's also 
to ensure that this transition is affordable and that is not affecting the most vulnerable consumers. Um, in terms of gaps, it means that we need to also increase the, the, the robustness of the governance that is more aligned with science and with the climate targets, because this is not really the case at the moment, alignment with the national energy climate plans, the long-term strategies, and all of these um, plans that help us reach the, the targets. That also means that we need sound competition between electricity and hydrogen, uh, which is also a gap that we identified in uh, assessing the, the, the package. And lastly, um, this package is very important, but also other issues will be crucial and other policy files will be crucial to actually help reducing demand in fossil fuels, such as the Renewable Energy Directive, the Energy Efficiency Directive, and the EPBD, which will also help de decarbonizing heating sector, for example. And these are also very important when we talk about uh, the reaching the climate targets. Okay, thanks, Rafael and Otto. Uh, let me uh, now um, introduce um, the topic. Of, I see Jerzy Buzik has got uh, his hand up. Do, do you want to make a, a comment, Mr. Buzik? Uh, yes, if I may say in in very general way that hydrogen, as a matter of fact, reconciles gas and electricity. It's very important. And hydrogen can help to decrease network congestion and provide long-term and uh, large-scale storage for intermittent renewable energy sources. At the same time, it can be easily transported via dedicated pipeline infrastructure or injected into gas transmission infrastructure to create a methane-hydrogen blend. As such, it uh, naturally reconciles electricity and gas. So, in this, um, let's say, competition, uh, electricity, gas, hydrogen, in the long-term perspective, of course, <laughs> hydrogen will be the most important because we can use it as, as a gas, as a matter of fact, and to produce electricity. If we store hydrogen in this, uh, in this concept, it's crucial that electricity, gas, and hydrogen are integrated within future use energy system. And uh, as far as I can recognize, it is uh, it is proposed, as a matter of fact, in European uh, European Commission pro the proposal. New gas power plants are increasingly being built, hydrogen ready. In the future, many of these power plants will generate electricity from a blend or methane and hydrogen blend, or from pure hydrogen. As a result, the increase between gas and electricity infrastructure will increase even further. On the other hand, newly, newly built electricity renewables will bring more intermittency and possible curtailment if consumption doesn't match production, especially in summer. Integrating the electricity renewables in the gas system via hydrogen will increase the profitability of new projects and partially address the issue of the seasonality of the energy supply and demand. And we know very well it is uh, the most disturbing issue from the point of view of using renewables in just even now we've got such a high prices of, of gas seasonality our um, uh, renewable energy resources in some part of, of, of Europe. 
So that's a really problem for us, and we can we can solve it thanks to hydrogen in the future. Thanks, Mr. Buzek, for pointing to this um, question of seasonality. And that introduces uh, the next question I wanted um, uh, to ask, which is about the joint scenarios for electricity, gas and hydrogen, which is part of the uh, Commission proposal that was tabled uh, in December. So these joint scenarios must take place and be undertaken as part of national network development plans. Uh, so let me ask you, um, Alan Cruz, how do you see this uh, joint scenario exercise taking shape uh, going forward? Will you be starting from scratch or do you already have a basis to work on? You know, I think what uh, Piotr also uh, already mentioned, uh, this is something that we are already doing. So uh, let's say in the TYNDP uh, cycle for uh, 2022, we are already uh, working on the joint scenarios together with Ensergy, but also with other sectors like power to heat uh, to come up with a full energy uh, scenario. And this uh, is indeed crucial to make sure that you have the full energy, both on generation side and on uh, consumption side, to look at what are the best ways and how does it match. Because in the end, energy needs to be stored or uh, generated somewhere to uh, keep the balance. So a joint scenario is crucial. What I still uh, would also like to add is this gives a first perspective and then it becomes uh, clear, okay, how to solve the solution, which energy carrier to pick up and uh, go further. Because while uh, uh, Jersey indeed mentioned that electricity is uh, more expensive to transport, transportation costs are only a fraction of the total energy cost. And uh, we're currently, uh, let's say, kind of sparked that there was always enough electricity and gas available. So all the industry has always been looking at a, uh, yeah, a flat uh, demand curve. And maybe in the future, their uh, flexibility on their side can be more beneficial than trying to make sure that hydrogen fills up uh, all the gaps. And I think that this transformation that currently is ahead of us, and we need to relook at all the business cases, all the interfaces, and there, let's say, a common scenario definitely helps in uh, going forward. Thanks, Alan Kroos. Uh, Piotr Kroos, maybe uh, a comment on uh, the joint uh, planning and scenarios going forward, combining electricity, gas, and hydrogen. The Commission seems to, you know, want something to be uh, uh, improved or pursued there. Uh, what is your take on this and how do you see this taking shape? Maybe first comments, uh, Frederick, to, to, uh, to, to, to your, your statement. We, we see how, uh, how the proposal is going and we see uh, more and more uh, integration in the proposals of the Commission, especially now with uh, uh, with the this legislative proposals for the national level where uh, where now the national scenarios will go all along uh, uh, the value chain of uh, of uh, of our business but also be more and more interlinked with uh, with electricity on the joint scenarios I can only repeat that uh, we work uh, on a number of iterations with uh, TYNDP. we have already 10 years experience in uh, providing for very robust analysis of European networks and uh, also with uh, 
with our cooperation, it's it's very important to add that uh, these are really jointly developed scenarios and uh, the interlink model is, has already six years and there is a lot of really detailed work between both organizations. And we see this joint exercise as really a quintessence of uh, this energy system integration. We see that uh, our analysis provide really uh, uh, checked uh, and uh, and very expert vision of, of how the system will evolve and what is needed for infrastructure. Thanks, Piotr Cruz. Uh, let me turn to Rafael Anoto now. Your, your views briefly uh, about the joint scenarios. Do you think something there needs to be changed or improved? Yes, uh, thank you, Frédéric. Indeed, we are we were very happy when seeing uh, this joint scenario initiative in the gas package. Um, it's very good, but of course, it can uh, always be improved. Uh, first of all, uh, taking into account the energy efficiency efficiency first principle is something that is absolutely needed, uh, but also making sure that the joint scenarios are aligned with climate targets is also something that uh, is not uh, where the guidance is not strong enough uh, there, because what we need is really science-based uh, decision-making and science-based modeling when talking about uh, um, joint scenarios. And of course, um, when we talk about the future of hydrogen, the electricity network planning is as important for the future of the hydrogen system as is the, the, the uh, uh, gas network planning. So, so joint scenarios are absolutely uh, needed, but the contribution, especially from uh, NSOG, should be also uh, for the future of the hydrogen network is also to prepare uh, plans on what networks will be available to be either taken off the gas system or to be fully repurposed or decommissioned. And this is also uh, something that needs to be taken into account when we talk about uh, joint scenarios and that we're not seeing enough uh, yet in the package. Thanks, Rafael Anotto. So let me turn now uh, to Katerina Sikov-Magni, maybe for a, um, um, a comment on the joint scenarios, and then I'll turn to you, uh, Joseph Bozek. Thanks. Uh, um, so on joint scenarios, I mean, that work has already started uh, under the uh, Trans-European Energy Networks Regulation. So what the current package brings there is to complement it uh, also by uh, bringing the national planning and the national integrated planning into the focus and then also focusing on uh, hydrogen uh, more. So we already have experience of uh, joint scenarios which are climate compliant and this we need to pursue uh, uh, and bring all the science, bring all the stakeholders into the process. But just one comment here. Uh, I mean, of course, we need to be efficient. We need to keep in mind that uh, resources are very limited. Uh, we need to keep in mind affordability. But at the same time, we also need to keep in mind that security of supply and the resilience of our system, be it then electricity or the future decarbonized gas, means also redundancy in the system. If we put every line 100% uh, into usage, and then there is a problem, then we have a big problem as well. So being too efficient is also risky. So that's one point I wanted to raise as a citizen as well. Thank you. Thanks, Mrs. Sikov-Magni. And Josie Brzezik, you wanted to comment maybe on the joint scenarios? Uh, yeah, yeah. As it is usual in our uh, 
integrated energy market will be very important cross-border hydrogen network. Uh, it will be certainly key for developing a hydrogen economy uh, because in natural way hydrogen production will likely be focused on specific regions. Uh, in the case of green hydrogen, this will be geographically close to, to wind or, or solar energy, maybe hydropower sometime. As with re renewable electricity, this poses a logistical challenge of transporting the energy from a remote production site to consumers across Europe. So, NSOG will be very much involved in our energy security as usual, and NSOG is uh, absolutely crucial for, from this point of view. Only via cross-border hydrogen network, all member states can benefit from access to the hydrogen market. And this infrastructure will ensure, will ensure security of supply and market functioning. The creation of an EU-wide hydrogen network under regulated network access uh, will provide the best conditions for the development of the hydrogen market. So, third uh, part access, for example, and everything what we got just now in our SOS uh, regulation, it will be valid in some way also in the future, thanks to cross-border hydrogen network. So, if we think of integration of our European energy market is absolutely necessary to think on that also from the point of view of hydrogen generation or production or hydrogen transmission. Thanks, Jerzy Let me uh, maybe uh, stay with you for a moment. Ah, uh, I see uh, Piotr Kush has a, uh, his hands up. Yes, go ahead, Piotr. To comment more on this uh, integrated scenarios, with with also uh, uh, respect to what was said before, and and uh, repeat a bit that uh, security of supply aspect, uh, energy system integration aspect, integrating all three columns of uh, of uh, uh, of energy, uh, uh, so electricity, gas, and hydrogen is of utmost importance uh, in this integrated system plan and, and having a long-term vision. And here I would like to also refer a bit to, to this practical reading of the package. What we see now is uh, also uh, the proposals are now going a bit against this approach. If, if we read now dedicated uh, hydrogen TYNDP, which, uh, which as we read the package should be take place already in, in very few years. So, I would be very also uh, cautious here with with these proposals not to lose this aspect of really having an integrated look, as it was said here by various speakers, that we really have to look at which uh, assets can be reproposed, how the assets can uh, work together to provide for smooth, efficient uh, uh, transition towards hydrogen. And our uh, our worry here is that if we now install a really separate exercise, which will be somehow made a bit detached of, of broader energy system integration look in Europe might uh, might be of might pose some difficulties in practical uh, ramping up the uh, hydrogen networks in Europe. 
Thanks, Piotr Kush. And actually, that um, uh, introduces the next question I wanted um, uh, to put uh, on the table. Um, so when the Commission presented the uh, December gas package, it said a key element was to establish a competitive hydrogen market with a dedicated infrastructure. Uh, and I guess dedicated infrastructure is, is the key uh, term here. So, uh, Jerzy Buzek, uh, maybe you can tell us a, a bit more about your views uh, when it comes to creating a dedicated hydrogen uh, network. What, in your view, is the best way uh, to get there? And do you agree that a dedicated network needs to be established in the first place? Yeah. Uh, first of all, let me say, uh, hydrogen transmission infrastructure uh, will be naturally monopolistic. Uh, this is uh, the case today with uh, gas and electricity transmission infrastructure. Hydrogen transmission infrastructure will be absolutely monopolistic at the beginning. On the other hand, therefore, the regulation of hydrogen infrastructure should be based on the guiding uh, principles laid down in our third energy package, as it is in the case of electricity or, or natural gas uh, infrastructure. This includes such fundamental concepts as third-party access or an unbundling, of course, uh, together with, uh, with, uh, with, of course, uh, uh, transparent tariffs. So, uh, it's important that we, we will build our cross-border hydrogen networks and also to use all the rules in our third energy package. And maybe it is necessary to add um, that both green and blue hydrogen will play a role. We should not just uh, say that one of them is more important because it's uh, unclear for our producers, for our, for our generation. Uh, as recognized by the European Commission in its hydrogen strategy, uh, both of them and hydrogen infrastructure, infrastructure for green or blue hydrogen can contribute to the developing hydrogen market. Uh, we have to take it into account in transport infrastructure, in infrastructure, infrastructure planning. And um, uh, we've got also quite a new regulations from the European Commission and saying that gas and, and uh, nuclear uh, energy they are for, for transition absolutely necessary in taxonomy. I hope it will be absolutely clear for us that for period, let's say, 25, 30 years, natural gas, still natural gas, and nuclear energy will be valid as a very good way for transmission. And from this point of view, hydrogen is crucial, crucial in the long-term perspective. So, uh, of course, we need a lot of infrastructure and we should build it as soon as possible and to start to do that. 
Thanks, Mr. Buzek. Uh, let me turn to Rafael Anoto uh, now about uh, this question of infrastructure uh, and the European Commission's um, objective to create a dedicated uh, hydrogen infrastructure. Uh, what is your view uh, about this? Yes, so about dedicated infrastructure, what's uh, very clear is that at the moment we're not really uh, sure if we will actually need a pan-European uh, hydrogen infrastructure or if we will develop actually hydrogen around hydrogen clusters to respond to the needs of heavy industry where we would not need to transport hydrogen on, over very long distance but rather have it on the clustered approach. The big question here is who actually is going to take that decision of how, how we build and what do we need to build. Uh, at the moment we see that we have uh, um, a new the, the NOH and we have this uh, energy system integration that should enable a bit of joint scenarios and, and actually making sure that uh, we take the decision in a uh, independent manner or at least not uh, responding to some interest. But uh, what we have seen and what uh, Mr. Buzek was saying is very interesting. We need to actually have this gas package in line with the third energy package, with the unbundling regulation, with the uh, or the unbundling provisions, with third-party access, and at the moment we see that these elements are mentioned in the gas package, but at the same time uh, you see a lot of exemptions, and member states will be able to ask for exemptions uh, about these, uh, um, for example, unbundling uh, provision for uh, for uh, the the better part of uh, of this decade. So. The big question is really who takes that decision and how we take the decision in terms of building this hydrogen infrastructure because of course and Ms. sick of magni also said that we need a certain degree of redundancy of infrastructure at the same time overbuilding will lead to stranded assets and will lead to an overpriced uh, bill for for consumers and for europe in general Thanks, Rafael Anotto. Uh, let me ask uh, the same question now to Alan Cruz. Uh, do you believe there is a need for a dedicated uh, hydrogen infrastructure? And how do you think policymakers uh, should uh, take this forward? Uh, if, if, if I look to uh, this question, uh, it's a, indeed a very interesting one. Um, but I do believe that uh, hydrogen uh, should become a kind of a commodity product. Uh, given that we uh, kind of already uh, agreed that we cannot electrify everything, so there are uh, sectors or usages that, uh, let's say, are not uh, either feasible or uh, economically uh, feasible. So from that, that perspective, you're trying to look at how to make sure that uh, within Europe, everybody can make use of uh, this uh, new product. And therefore, a commodity product is, uh, let's say, most uh, uh, you know, likely. And then the question is a bit, uh, if you look at, uh, do you want to transport it and to make it a, a pan-European uh, grid? It depends a bit, uh, where do you think the hydrogen is being produced? And from import, because we still import quite a lot of energy in Europe, from import, you will always look at the outsides of Europe, whether they're from harbors or uh, pipelines from the outside. And you want to be able to uh, transport the hydrogen towards uh, the inside uh, Europe and if you want to create hydrogen uh, you can either use the existing gas like uh, Jersey mentioned with blue uh, hydrogen uh, that could be a, a possibility but green hydrogen uh, most likely is being produced near the coast because we're going to use the offshore uh, wind uh, access there so from that perspective I think yeah we might start with let's say some clusters 
But uh, given the fact that storing CO2 is also a transition part, at least that's the way we feel about it, uh, building it out to a pan-European grid, I think in the end is uh, something that we uh, yeah, should work on. Okay, thanks, Alan Kroos. Uh, let me ask now Piotr Kroos what your views are uh, about this um, idea planned by the European Commission to create a dedicated hydrogen infrastructure. We heard some of the other speakers mention uh, regulatory issues that the third energy package should apply, uh, including, for example, the, uh, the unbundling rules. What are your views on that? Well, I also have a more infrastructure-oriented look at this at this uh, part of the discussion uh, i will also refer to the fact that uh, as we said we already uh, started as tso's work with hydrogen in a various uh, various uh, areas starting from technical issues uh, uh, hydrogen handling that, that will be also very important to to provide for robust infrastructure and indeed uh, currently uh, we see multiple visions of how uh, the infrastructure can develop around uh, around uh, different applications, so so regionally or, or in, in also uh, aspect of pan-European uh, needs for uh, for infrastructure. As was rightly mentioned here, uh, there is also a lot of discussion if and how uh, in future uh, hydrogen might be imported to Europe. What we will also refer to is very important uh, for us to know. What are what are the needs of market participants and uh, the needs along whole value chain? And this is why we are also engaging very strongly with uh, uh, with various stakeholders. Uh, first, with uh, with our process for ENSOC roadmap 2050. Then, of course, it's very important to mention that uh, we are also very active in the European Clean Hydrogen Alliance. That we are also discussing the various projects and barriers to the projects uh, for hydrogen uh, infrastructure, be that uh, uh, transportation distribution, be that also uh, ports and inland uh, uh, terminals. And here uh, we uh, we look at uh, what is the potential to develop such projects in a different regions and also having this wider view. And finally, what is uh, also very important for ENSOC is also to, to have a better understanding of the evolution of the markets and the needs of uh, various uh, uh, various uh, actors along the whole value chain. So also we uh, we work with them with uh, our advisory panel for the future of gas grids, where we really collect and look how uh, what are the important uh, uh, vectors to develop and uh, where to develop the infrastructure. Thanks, Piotr Kroos. Uh, let me um, turn back to Katerina Sik of Magni uh, now, maybe for a sort of. Uh, a wrap-up or, or a summary of um, the Commission's approach when it comes to developing a, a dedicated hydrogen network. We heard some of the speakers say that this requires uh, um, uh, an approach also regulatory speaking, uh, applying the third energy package, unbundling rules, uh, etc. Uh, so can you expand a little bit on uh, how you intend to approach those kinds of regulatory matters? Uh, thanks. Um, so, first of all, um, I think the question on whether we need a, a dedicated hydrogen network, I mean, my answer is yes. If we want hydrogen to play the role uh, in decarbonizing the gas system, we will need one day um, a dedicated network that spans beyond national borders. Um, otherwise, hydrogen uh, usage uh, will then stay only local, 
maybe then be blended and all these aspects uh, we believe are not the right ones to decarbonize the gas sector. Uh, but what we have now put in place in the package is that, of course, we are uh, speaking about an emerging sector uh, where there is still a lot of uncertainty, where the costs still need to come down uh, so as to be uh, competitive. And that's why uh, what we have put in place uh, in the proposal is the model, the target model, if, we, if you wish, where we want to be in a decade, let's say. And therefore, we are in a very slow moving sector. Infrastructure typically takes between five to 10 years to build. Uh, so therefore, we have uh, allowed many flexibilities uh, for member states to decide uh, in this emerging, emerging phase. Uh, and that is in order to uh, trigger and incentivize the sector. But everybody in the sector knows where we want to be uh, when the cross-border infrastructure starts emerging. Uh, and that we have as, uh, assumed that will happen around 2030 and after. And here, the rules. Mr. Busek mentioned that the grid is a natural, national, natural monopoly, sorry. And that is exactly the case. And therefore, we need to ensure that there is no monopoly power, so strong regulation on the grid, and also ensuring uh, access by any party uh, to the grid so that they can put their hydrogen into it and trade uh, rules on tarification, etc., uh, etc. Et so the same approach we have in place already in the electricity and gas sector. All this, of course, means to uh, evolve in, uh, in a cooperation, in an integrated way, as we have discussed earlier today. And that's where both the uh, electricity and gas uh, uh, stakeholders and players need to be in an inherent part of the development of the hydrogen uh, future as any other stakeholder. So the answer is yes, we need, uh, we need to know where we want to be uh, and then allow the flexibility in the ramp up phase uh, in the sector. Thank you. Thanks, Mrs. Sikker, uh, Magni. And so now we can go maybe a little bit deeper <clears throat> into the European Commission proposals when it comes to regulating these uh, new dedicated networks. So the Commission proposal was to establish a European network of network operators for hydrogen, so NOH. Uh, which is supposed to start operating as of 2024. It seems there are quite a lot of open questions uh, still about this new body and how it will work. Uh, so we'll start collecting questions from the speakers, questions or comments, and then we'll return to you, uh, Mrs. Sikovagni, to maybe uh, provide clarification. So um, let me start with Piotr Kush from ENSOG. Uh, what are your views about this new body called uh, NOH? What are the open questions there as far as you're concerned? Yeah, thank you very much for this question. Um, I think that our answer goes uh, also a bit in line of energy system integration and uh, we are also trying to, to, to understand a bit uh, the concept of having uh, new separate body for uh, for hydrogen when discussing the, uh, the the system integration and interdependence between all these uh, three uh, energy carriers. Nevertheless, 
as we said, there are many open practical questions and we uh, really want to be uh, constructive and, and, as we said, get uh, uh, engaged into the dialogue on how this, uh, how this uh, corp governance uh, uh, approach should be, should be taken forward. Uh, from our views, yes, it's indeed a very ambitious deadline to, uh, to set up an organization only in 2024, having in mind that uh, uh, hydrogen market uh, is in very nascent uh, stage currently and uh, we, uh, we don't see at this moment uh, uh, cross-border or wider infrastructure that is that will then transport hydrogen so of course this is something of, of a challenge to set up already uh, organization that is uh, up and running uh, secondly uh, as i mentioned before then then of course it poses another another question how to develop then this pan-european hydrogen tyndp and, and how to integrate it with the existing existing uh, existing plans that are carried out by 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 NSOE and NSOG. And, and finally, we are also looking at how, how practically we look at the membership in such an organization. Do we expect that uh, in uh, already two years from now, we will have certified uh, uh, operators for network uh, and for hydrogen networks and uh, uh, how they will be uh, designated? And then, of course, uh, should we be open also if we look at, at uh, this, this approach to regulate the, the, the future hydrogen market will be also open to, to other parties like, I don't know, producers or, 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 or on downstream side. So there, I think there, there remains a lot of uh, open questions on how to handle this, this process of establishing such a dedicated uh, organization for hydrogen for now. Thanks, Piotr Krush. Um, Alan Cruz, maybe uh, we can get your views um, about how do you think NOH um, should be established going forward and what you think should be its remit? Uh, what are the open questions that you have regarding this new uh, body? Yeah, an interesting question. I mean, uh, not knowing exactly how NOH uh, will work and who is uh, picking up, it's, let's say, uh, we're working from assumptions and uh, there you have kind of uh, two approaches so either you like what you already have eh, because then you know how to deal uh, the processes are there you know the people uh, picking things up but on the other hand we've also learned during the whole scenario building process for example how to introduce more and more the dso's how to introduce the uh, power to heat uh, sector so this uh, uh, decarbonization target also means that we need to uh, change our current way of behaving, uh, introduce new stakeholders and be able to manage that. So from that perspective, uh, yeah, NSOE is a bit uh, neutral on this one and uh, we can work with both uh, systems. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll make it work, uh, left or right, no problem there. Okay, thanks, Alan Cruz. Uh, same question now to uh, Rafael Anotto. Uh, some questions uh, maybe that you have uh, or remarks regarding uh, NOH? Yes, um, absolutely. So um, on the NOH and the governance of, of, uh, of these bodies and, and the interplay between NSOE, NSOG and NOH, what we see is that, of course, it's not realistic to ask the European Commission to develop the target model of 2030 from the outset, but the exemption that exists on unbundling, uh, for example, raise a lot of questions on how to avoid uh, uh, that we have 
NSOC, for example, that will be uh, taking the duty of NOH until 2024, uh, actually um, doing that in, on, on their own interest because gas TSOs have an interest in using their networks and avoiding stranded assets. So how do we have the necessary guarantees of legal separation and unbundling uh, up until that moment? And how do we actually ensure that there is a balance between NSOE, NSOG and uh, NOH? Because this is also what the 10E uh, regulation governance revolves around. So if NOH is not independent from, from other agents, how do we reach that balance and how do we assure uh, to avoid vested interests in there? Thanks, Rafael Anoto. Uh, Jerzy Buzik, uh, maybe um, uh, your views about um, uh, this new body called uh, NOH. What should be the principles uh, there you think should guide the operation of this new uh, governance body? Uh, well, it's an important question, and do we think about it in, in, in a deep and serious way, yeah, how to organize ourselves? I might, uh, I might say from my perspective that we, we created NSOE and SOG 12 years ago, and uh, uh, developing hydrogen economy, let's first and foremost uh, use uh, the experience and potential existing processes as well as infrastructure synergies interlinking gas and electricity system. And let me add that uh, as a matter of fact, in, uh, in infrastructure, if we think on infrastructure dedicated um, to, to, to hydrogen, uh, what is the key? Around 70% of this network will be composed of repurposed, repurposed gas infrastructure, since it has been proven more economical than new infrastructure construction. So if we've got demand uh, uh, something about 10,000 kilometers in next 10 years, in 20 years, uh, three or four times more, we should remember uh, what is the, 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 the cheapest way of um, building a new infrastructure. The scale of this undertaking demands that hydrogen infrastructure planning be conducted in the most efficient manner possible and make the most possible use of synergies between electricity and gas. So infrastructure planning has to take into account uh, various stakeholders, but the final decisions will always be with uh, member states, national plans, since, uh, since it will probably look different in different countries. The, law, the, law, the role of the EU will be to take into account both front runners and uh, uh, regards as well and uh, it could be from country to country different situation and i think that uh, experience of NSOG, NSOE, how to connect our european market how to make it uh, 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 well uh, working in any efficient in in most efficient way 
and giving energy security is absolutely crucial from my point of view. So we will see the final result of our discussion. I am, I am open for everything, but I like everything what, what uh, has happened uh, in the last uh, 12 years, thanks to NSOG and NSOE. Thanks, Mr. Buzik. So let me turn back now to Katarina Sikov-Magni, maybe for a uh, reaction to what uh, we just heard, the questions and remarks uh, regarding NOH. So, uh, uh, for example, questions about the membership, who would be the members, uh, would um, uh, DSOs, for example, uh, participate as well? Um, and um, how do you ensure as well the independence? That was something that was raised by Rafael Anato. Thanks. Um, I mean, maybe that's the first to underline that the hydrogen market is expected to differ from the current gas market and, of course, electricity as well, uh, because the future role uh, for hydrogen are different and therefore the future rules for hydrogen also need a dedicated reflection by those who are then uh, part of this development and uh, have then the, the technological knowledge. So the exclusive focus on hydrogen through ENOH allows to better tailor the development of these networks to the real needs of the market. And when we speak about networks, we must keep in mind that it is not only the physical network as such, but it is also all the rules, connection codes net, and access codes and all these what we call as network codes that need to be de developed and need to be then uh, specific for hydrogen needs and uses and the type of uh, gas that it, it, that it is. So, of course, the opportunities of repurposing the natural gas are enormous. And that's why I've uh, underlined the need to work together, then be it hydrogen uh, interest, be it gas interest, be it uh, electricity interest or broader societal interest that then reflect uh, decarbonization uh, targets uh, perhaps in a different way. Uh, so if still speaking about the differences, um, large industrial players and major transport hubs will be the main consumers for hydrogen, at least in the next decades to come. Whilst natural gas is delivered to hundreds of millions of households, businesses, and electricity and heat producers that use gas. So there is a big difference already uh, in this sense. Um, and hydrogen is not therefore uh, interchangeable with natural gas because it will serve different purposes and uh, target the so-called hard to abate sectors. Uh, so that is why we have proposed setting up uh, this new entity in line with uh, ENSO E and ENSO G. So, learning from all the good experience uh, we have seen uh, there in the past uh, decade, as uh, Mr. Buzek rightly said. However, creating a new entity, of course, always takes time. And that is why, uh, in the beginning, we propose to set up something which is called the European Platform uh, to support this early work in scoping hydrogen issues with broad stakeholder participation. Uh, in the early years, again, um, ENSOC will remain responsible for the tasks under the TENI regulation, gas directive and gas regulation, 
until the new rules come to into place. So on the one hand, with the creation of the ENO, we have foreseen the very specific needs of the sector and the very targeted needs of the sector. Uh, the independence then is essential. But again, as I've said many times, we need the ramp up phase. We need to uh, be sure that we can already start working today with what we have, working with all the parties concerned in uh, establishing the ENO in a couple of years' time to follow. Thank you. Thanks, Mrs. Sikov Magni. Um, uh, maybe a brief follow up question uh, for you, uh, Mrs. Sikov Magni. Um, I mean, so there are some worries I hear about the creation of this new dedicated uh, uh, network with uh, its own um, governance body and uh, technical rules like network codes that uh, you mentioned. I mean, all of that takes place, uh, takes time to put in place. Um, and, and some are worried that this might be like erecting some new walls between uh, different energy sectors when uh, the Commission is trying to build bridges. Um, what, what is your answer to that? <laughs> That's funny. Um, why doesn't anybody propose to merge NSOE and G? <laughs> you know, the same question arises there as well, in my view. Uh, we, there are specificities, be it technical, be it in terms of the users, be it in terms of the location of the production, etc. And these specificities, in our view, can best be tackled by giving that task to those who are experts in the area. But again, having said this, uh, it is essential that nobody in today's world can and should work alone, because then all the benefits from synergies all the benefits from system integration uh, and then economic efficiency would be lost. So specialization where it makes sense and then strong cooperation. And we believe that we have put these uh, elements into the package. Uh, and here I do uh, trust that the cooperation comes from all the partners who are here today and many more as well. Thanks. Thanks, Mrs. Sikov Magni. Uh, we're getting close to the end um, of this event. I'm just picking up one question uh, now from the audience, which uh, is coming actually from the European Commission itself and is, is for you, uh, Mrs. Sikov Magni. So it's somebody called Thomas Rambo who works at uh, DG Research. And he's asking, what are the main barriers that we should tackle, uh, that we should tackle in 2022 for the production of clean or green? hydrogen? Main barriers to this year. <laughs> uh, I mean, this year should be focused on uh, getting the Fit for 55 package uh, and the December package on uh, gases advanced as much as possible, if not concluded in the, in the institutional negotiations. We are very advanced already on the renewables uh, directive, for instance, um, where we hope uh, to go into the trialogues already in the autumn. Um, and that is the, the renewables directive is essential also to uh, create the demand, the targets and uh, rules for getting renewable hydrogen into the market. The December package then uh, brings in the 
similar approach for low carbon hydrogen. So that's why it is also important to rapidly advance on the on the negotiations. So I think the first uh, element to put in place is to uh, have a speedy uh, negotiation with the European Parliament and with the Council on all these proposals because they form a whole uh, together. Then, of course, uh, on the uh, technology side, on the uh, project side, uh, all the work that is already going on in uh, collecting uh, ideas from the sector uh, on which projects uh, to produce hydrogen uh, in which form, what kind of hydrogen, etc. We need to monitor this closely and work together uh, in order to help those projects to go forward. And that is very much what is ongoing today with colleagues in, uh, in the lead from DG Grow, for instance. And thirdly, uh, of course, there is still a lot of work to bring down the cost of hydrogen, especially the cost of green and low carbon hydrogen. And that is where, on the one hand, the uh, ramping up of the production can, can help, but here uh, research into uh, making the technology more uh, efficient, making the technologies that we have uh, more market ready, will of course play also a key role. And here the, um, uh, the research programs uh, which already have uh, a strong element on uh, hydrogen is a key element again here to remove the obstacles that we have still at the, at the cost side. So that's not exhaustively, but as a, as a rapid reaction to the question. Thanks, Mrs. Sikov-Magni. Uh, and indeed, now we've reached the end of this conference. But before we close, I will ask each of our speakers to very briefly, in one or two sentences, summarize what would be your main uh, message uh, from this conference or concluding words. So let me start with you, uh, Jerzy Bozek. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for the invitation. It's great discussion. So let us say that uh, uh, all electric scenario is not an option. So we should always uh, remember about that because in heavy transport or, or steel industry, uh, of course we need, need hydrogen and it will be also in, in longer perspective. So uh, if we want, because our main uh, topics and main uh, uh, problems are integrated scenario, smooth transition. So let us take into, into account all the options, uh, not to be closed uh, for any solution. And uh, it is my point of view, knowing that we've got a lot of experience, uh, thanks to NSOE and NSOG, we should use them in the future regulatory, clear regulatory framework to support uh, technologies and deployment, but also ensure security of supply and to avoid monopolies is absolutely crucial from point of view of everything what we will do in the future with our gas package, so important from the point of fit for 55. Even if, uh, if uh, the gas package is not 
named as fit for 55 scenario. I think it is absolutely a crucial point in our scenario. Gas package together with fit for 55. Thanks, Mr. Buzek. And so let me turn now to Rafael Anoto, your brief uh, concluding uh, words uh, very quickly, if possible. Yes, thank you, Frédéric. So uh, to conclude, I would just like to say that the EU has a leadership rule, role sorry, in pushing an ambitious uh, energy and climate legislation and in showing that this transition is possible. Uh, the European Green Deal is under scrutiny from other parts of the world and the EU could really show the way on how to ensure a managed phase out of the gas sector that is also affordable to consumers. So if it gives uh, gas TSOs an overinflated role in building the hydrogen network and makes consumer pay for hydrogen even if they do not benefit from it, then it will miss the opportunity of ensuring this affordable, clean and especially smooth transition. So it can be really a trailblazer and a frontrunner in that aspect, or uh, it can also uh, go through a messy transition. What is now important is that it's now up to member states and the parliament to actually deliver that and actually deliver an ambitious green deal because all will hinge on this uh, package and on this legislation. Thanks, Rafael Anoto. Alan Cruz, your uh, concluding thoughts uh, briefly. Yeah, thank you. I think indeed the, the energy transition uh, is a complex and a multi-dimensional uh, challenge for us. So we should not oversimplify things. Uh, I also uh, very much like that Katarina indeed also mentioned security supply and adequacy are important items. But we should also not be afraid to change. So let's say in the past we have shown that we can change and pick up things uh, being resilient and uh, innovative and uh, flexible in uh, this matter. As long as indeed we want to be, uh, let's say, uh, doing this in an integrated way and uh, cooperating with all the important stakeholders there. So, uh, looking forward. Thanks, Alan Kroos. Um, Piotr Kroos, your own concluding thoughts uh, very briefly, please. Thank you very much, Frederick. Uh, as NSOC, we are really willing and ready to take part and support the works around the package. As TSOs, we are offering our experience and we offer our infrastructure that will uh, be important to develop hydrogen economy in an affordable and secure manner to all the market participants. And uh, we are, as fair partner and, and, and advisor, we are really open to, to talk with all the stakeholders and, and to provide uh, our support in this process towards the decarbonizing EU energy market and, and uh, our infrastructure. Thank you. Thank you. And now to uh, close the round of uh, closing statements, Mrs. Katerina Sukov-Magni. Thanks uh, for the very interesting discussion, first of all. Uh, so just a couple of words then. Um, well, we will need molecules in the future decarbonized uh, energy system that is evident in all our scenarios. And that's why we also will need the gas sector in the future. The question is, what gas? And this gas, of course, must be decarbonized. It must be renewable gases. And here, hydrogen uh, is expected to play a key role. So what we need uh, to do in order to get this uh, gas decarbonized uh, and get the fossil uh, elements out, 
we need the regulatory framework in place that incentivizes uh, the right decisions. And here, as has been emphasized uh, already, is the full Fit for 55 package that was tabled last summer, complemented by this December package uh, that goes into more detail in the uh, renewable and low carbon gases. So we need that, that into place. And after that, it will be for the private sector and for the market to make the change, uh, bring the new ideas, bring the new technologies and to bring costs down. Thank you. Thanks, Katarina. Uh, so that brings us to the end of this event. Uh, big thanks to ENSOG uh, for supporting it. A big thanks to our speakers uh, for your time and to our viewers for following us. If you've missed the beginning of this event, you can watch it back on YouTube and other social platforms. And if you would like to know more about upcoming events at your active, you can check our website events.youractive.com for more. We, we Hope to see you again soon. In the meantime, take care and stay safe. Bye for now.